0: So the thing about the church here, uh, the thing about, about Advent is that it keeps coming back every single year, like a spiritual perennial flower, that, that it'll just pop up through the soil no matter what. Every single year, no matter if it's been a, a hopeful season or a frustrating season, no matter if it's been um, full of joy or full of, full of sorrow, Advent continues to come over and over and over again. Uh, and so we only have uh, some power <laughs> in all of that. If a perennial pops up from your garden every year, uh, when, it, when it comes, you your task is simply to help care for it, help tend, uh, to water it, uh, to make sure that the soil is right, and then to enjoy the beauty and the warmth and the color that it brings. Um, and so... so we have that opportunity as we head into this Advent season, this, this season of waiting and looking for Jesus. We have the opportunity to help Advent bloom in our own lives, to help it, to help it grow, to witness the smell and the color. Um, and every year is a new opportunity. And so every year when this thing comes back and back around, it's a new chance for us to experience the new in the old and the old in the new. So, so we, we pray old prayers in new ways. And we pray new prayers of old themes, all together calling out for Jesus. So this morning, and and the journey of Advent historically in in the church calendar, it leans into four main themes. And this morning, the the beginning of the Advent season is focused on on the the concept, the biblical concept of hope. Um, And you know what most pastors do not particularly want to talk about this Sunday morning? Uh, Hope. And, and the, the reason is because it's really, really hard to figure out the balance of honesty and inspiration, right, that, that kind of faith is and that preachers are supposed to, to send out. You know, honest on one, ha- on one hand, but inspiring and hopeful and, and um, optimistic often on the other. Uh, and, and it's hard. It's hard to walk the tension of what we believe to be real on one side, but the sense that sometimes it feels hollow on the other side. Um, It's complicated. Uh, There's there's the big picture of faith, and then there's the the now. Uh, But we're not alone in this experience by by any stretch. I mean, that is the universal reality of hope and the universal story of the scriptures. So consider the foundational story uh, that that we look at during this this season of Advent. And the foundational story, uh, you know, is obviously uh, found at the beginning of the Gospels. And so just just listen to to what happens in in Matthew, uh, in chapter 1. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to quietly divorce her. Okay, so, so this is the story. The story starts with a lot of anxiety, specifically for the, the, on the part of Joseph. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, And you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Can you imagine receiving that note, that message, that vision? Don't worry. Not only is what Mary is saying true, but Jesus is going to be the rescuer, the Messiah, the one who has come to save his people, the one that we've been waiting for. There's such hope on a grand scale, on a global scale. There is enormous hope. And then the next morning, the next morning, Joseph is so full of hope, so full of faith, he tells Mary, we are in this thing together, Mary. We're going to walk forward. And, and that's, kind of, that's kind of where that part of the story ends. But what but we, don't, we don't think about is that in the midst of the global hope, there was the reality that Joseph and Mary had to walk through. In Jewish culture, the wedding celebration is one of the greatest celebrations of, of um, all Uh, of of all holidays, of of all of their culture. You know, the union of of a husband and wife, it it represents something that is deeply foundational from the, the Genesis story in their Bible. But a pregnant woman having a wedding was a disgrace in the culture. So while there's this huge hope for Joseph and Mary, the next day they realize but we can't celebrate with our family and friends. Not in the way that we wanted to. The wedding is going to be quiet. The wedding's going to be hushed. It's just going to be everyone looks the other way because nobody else is in on it. So, so can you imagine the despair and the sorrow that a young lady would feel in looking forward to this seven-day celebration? Weddings lasted for seven days sometimes. It just, there's a mix of the global hope and the local hope exhaustion, sorrow, frustration. And the story goes on, right? Um, the story's so good, but also so challenging. So many sum- assumptions, so many moral and social implications to all of this. So they have to learn to live in that tension during their lives and during the pregnancy. Again, consider when Jesus is born in Matthew 2. Um, so, so Jesus is born, and you know the story probably of, of the wise men, the magi, who are coming um, from the eastern lands and they come and they celebrate Jesus as king and it's this incredible prophetic thing that, that even though he's a baby he is treated as the true king that he actually is um, and this is a theme throughout the entire gospels this, this kingship of Jesus but not the king in the ways that kings are typically seen this new kind of king but here's what happens he's celebrated as a king the birth is miraculous it's incredible it's beautiful But right after that, they find out that Herod, the actual king at the time, uh, has found out about this celebration of Jesus being the king or the chosen one. And so he intends to snuff Jesus out off the face of the earth to murder him. In chapter 2, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, and take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. Where he stayed until the death of Herod. Eight words. Three years as a refugee. Three years in Egypt. Mary, Joseph, Jesus, as refugees. Can you imagine in the midst of the hope of who Jesus was to become, the fear? Can you imagine how that affects a family to try to live in hope when you've been driven from your land? Then eventually they're told that they can go back, but they find out that in Judea, um, in, in the region that they had lived, what's going on is that Herod's son is still ruling and Joseph and Mary are concerned because he knew what happened. And so instead they have to settle in a different village, a different hometown, something brand new. This is the challenge that we have of living in global hope, but local pain. It's a, it's a hard tension. So, uh, the big story is so good that God's going to redeem the whole world. But the local story is often a real struggle to figure out what hope looks like. Uh, my boys and I, and, and my daughter, um, have all been watching this Amazon series uh, on this incredible trail racing series in, in Europe where um, these ultra marathoners, they race for about 25 to 28 miles over French, mountain sides that are snow-capped and the most intense, rugged trail you can ever imagine. And they have these drone footage shots that, that shoot from above that show this immense beauty that I just look at and say, I cannot believe that people get to run and race on this kind of terrain, on this kind of mountain. That is the most breathtaking beauty that the earth has to offer, right? The global look is so beautiful about what's going on and what's happening, but the local experience of each of those runners when they're oxygen deprived and their lungs and their legs are burning and their ankles are, are getting twisted by each shot on each of the rocks as they land and the exhaustion that they're experiencing is, is at the end of what a human being can take even. This, this balance of this tension and yet they continue to push on because they understand that they are participating in something that's big and, and beautiful and an immense privilege. And I've been thinking about that challenge of the balance of beauty from the big picture, but such a challenge on the day to day. And this is one of, our, one of our biggest issues with hope is learning what's the deal with actually having hope right now and living. What are the practices that look like hope in the day to day, even if we believe in the ultimate of God's redemption, of God's, of God's redemption? Um, after a chat on the phone earlier this week with one of you, um, I could not stop thinking about one of the primary scriptures that Christians use to offer hope. Um, and, and it's not what it seems, and some of you, some of you know this, and so you're going to chuckle when I, when I bring this up. But I want to talk for you with you for just a minute about um, the book of Jeremiah in chapter 29. And one of the greatest passages that Christians share with each other when they want to give each other hope, is Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, And Jeremiah 29, 11 says, um, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Okay? Many of you know those very well. They are, uh, those words are the subject of so many calendars and, uh, and so many memes and, um, and, and so much else. Uh, and, you know, so this idea, God, God has a plan for your life. Uh, is is an important theme for us to talk about and consider. Uh, my friend Todd was a pastor for a number of years, and he used to sit down with people when he was going to ask them to volunteer uh, at the church that he led. and uh, And what he would say was uh, he used to he used to start by saying before before I start, I just want you to know that Todd loves you and Todd has a wonderful plan for your life. And uh, with a with a big smile. Um, but uh, the, the passage is so well-known, right, um, that, God, that we want to talk about how God does indeed have a plan. And there's so much truth to that. However, look at the content of this passage. And this is actually going to give us a glimpse to an even greater hope. So the context of this passage that Jeremiah is writing is that God's people have been carried off to exile in Babylon. Jerusalem has fallen, and, and the people are, have, been, have been displaced, and here's what's happening. In the midst of their displacement, there are prophets alongside Jeremiah that are saying, hey, don't worry. This is all going to be better in just a minute. You know, not in, just a, a few months from now, everything's going to be fixed. Don't worry. And the people were eating it up. Okay? And so, so listen to all of these, um, listen to all of these uh, verses that precede Jeremiah 29, 11, and then we'll, I'll tell you where we're going with this. This is, what, this is verse 4 of chapter 29. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Don't decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Don't let the prophets and the diviners among you deceive you. Don't listen to the dreams that you encourage them to have. Can we just pause right there for a minute? Oh my. Don't listen to the dreams that you encourage them to have. This is a little bit too close to home, right? Uh, God, can your word be a little less relevant? Sometimes. Don't listen to the dreams that you encourage them to have. It is so easy, so easy in our world to find people to tell us whatever we want to hear. To find people who will boldly proclaim whatever is easiest for us to take in. Right? It doesn't matter if it's true. It doesn't matter if it um, respects or cares for other people. If we want to find something, we can find someone to affirm it for us. If we have a bias, we will find someone to confirm that bias. So, here's what's happening. He says, they are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. So now we're getting back up to Jeremiah 29, 11. This is verse 10. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring, back, to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you. Plans... Um, To give you hope or to prosper you and to not harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and, and come and pray, and I will listen, and you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your hearts, and I will be found by you. So that's the whole story. So I know the plans. God indeed has a plan, and that plan was going to take place 70 years after Jeremiah gave that message. Now, that to us can sound completely hopeless. Okay, great, the big story is unfolding, but what do we do locally? But did you hear at the beginning of that passage where where Jeremiah is, is speaking, God is speaking through Jeremiah, and he says, listen, there is something wonderful unfolding, a great redemption, a restoration happening. But as a part of that process, your job now is to live with that in mind and to live well in this particular moment. Look around your local community. Get involved. Seek the good of the city. Seek the peace of the city because you are tied up in it and it is tied up in you. Don't just sit around waiting for the one thing that you think is going to take care of all of your hopes. And this is what the temptation was. And this is what the temptation is for us today. The temptation for us is to say this one thing. For them at this point, for Israel, it was getting back to Jerusalem. Okay? That one thing, once that happens, everything will be fine. But here's the thing. (laughs) Was everything fine when the Israelites were actually inhabiting Jerusalem? When they were in their land? Were there no problems? Absolutely not. There were always issues to face. There was never a magic bullet where everything is all right. And so in our lives right now, whether it be, well, once COVID is done, everything will be fine. Or or once the, the political climate simmers down, everything will be good. Or once my kids get back in school, then I can be happy. Or... Or I can't be happy if my kids are in school because I'm terrified. Whatever the case might be, whatever that looks like, we have this temptation, like the Israelites did. We have this temptation to say, when that thing gets fixed, then I can have hope. But that's not the hope of Advent. The hope of Advent is that even when things aren't fixed, we can live fully. We can access the love of God because God has come to us. And no, it's not in its fullness. No, it's not in, in the ways that we often want to see it. That will come one day. We have faith for that. But up until that point, we walk faithfully in another way. And so, so you know, the idea of can we rest in the hope that God has a plan? Absolutely. Yes and no. Yes, a plan to flood the world with goodness and redemption that is being played out right now globally, but not always immediately. And so because we trust that God does have a plan and that it involves partnership with us, we settle down, we seek the good of the cities to which we've been called. And we understand that one day in fullness, in every way, God's hope for the future will come true. But that doesn't mean that our present pain is then hopeless. It's not. I started by talking about how like, there, um, there's like hope global but suffer local. That's not actually the ultimate story. We are given the, the gift of being able to hope global and hope local. But part of that plan is God wanting to share in relationship while that big picture plan unfolds. So that is what brings us hope in the present season. God is coming, God has come, God is with you and God is with me. So there's a balance here. Um, The temptation for most of us is about immediate satisfaction. But the core hope is not circumstantial. The core hope is that God's goodness transcends all of this and if we can learn to practice hope well now, then we'll still be able to practice hope when COVID is over. We'll still be able to practice hope Uh, when uh, things that you want to see happen, happen, or they don't end up happening in the way that you want them to, and you think, well, that was the thing that was going to be able to make it all okay. No, it wasn't. God's presence, God's faithfulness, God's love, God's redemption, God's salvation, those are the things that are going to be able to make it okay no matter what. Those are the things that are stronger than death. Those are the things that give us the gift of hope now. Uh, so hope becomes this thing that we practice um, each day, all right? Uh, Edward Welch, who's an author who writes a lot on the subject of depression and, and walking through depression, he says this, hope, as you will find, is a skill that takes practice. <laughs> and, and so if we think about that in light of Advent, which is waiting and anticipating something that has, has not yet come, the reason that we do this over and over again every single year the reason that we go through this story, this narrative, every single year, even though we know how it ends, is because we have to keep learning the practices of hope. And, and that's the whole job description of a hope-filled disciple. Simply walking with practices of hope, learning over and over again so that they work their way into our muscle memory, so that when we look out into a world and say it's not easy to see hope, what we know, what we've been practicing, kicks in. But it does take practice, so here's how we're going to wrap it. I want to just encourage you with a couple of practices, and hopefully the uh, whiteboard can pick these up. So the first practice um, is name the good. I'm not sure you can see that. Hopefully you can. Um, Name the good. So what you do is you learn to look around for signs of God's goodness and name them. St. Francis of Assisi used to praise God with the words, you are beauty. You are beauty. Not you are beautiful, God, but you are beauty. You are the very essence of beauty itself. Hope opens my eyes to beauty that surrounds me and beauty that will unfold. You know, and for some reason, this time can make it so much more challenging to lose sight of beauty. Perhaps that's why we need things like Christmas lights and uh, brightly red-colored cardinals in the midst of snow and drab um, brown trees, right? We need no- to notice the, the beauty badly um, so that it can restore our hope. And the ways that we name um, are, are by, I'll, I'll give you two, two things to practice this week, okay? One is using the phrase to God, you are, Okay? And if you use that phrase, you're talking about um, you are voicing God's presence. You're not going to be able to see this, hopefully, but I'm writing the presence. So you, you, you look and you say, you are, and, and, and you're voicing God's presence. What is it about God right now that gives you hope? And you learn to name those things, whether it's you are beautiful, you are faithful, you are providing for me relationally in the midst of isolation. You are blank, you are blank, you are blank, whatever. And then you also say, you will. And that, that, that is voicing God's promise. So you name the good, and you say, you are blank, and you voice God's presence with you. And I, when I say this, I'm, I'm talking about thinking it, I'm talking about journaling it, whatever. And then you say you will, and you remind yourself of the ultimate. So this is the, the local, and this is the global, as we think about hope. And so, so we... we Give voice to what is true and real and beautiful about God and about what's unfolding and about what's right now. We learn to, to recognize it and name it. And then, um, so, so we, uh, we name the good. And then the second thing is um, we give the hope that we get. Okay? And uh, this is not good. I didn't plan spatially very well this time. So we give what we get. This is a short one. We give what we get. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3 to 5 says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles, check this, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. What hope? What hope is in there? Who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort in any trouble, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we've received from God. So, so a practice of hope, a daily practice, is to share with other people the hope that God is giving us. If you've walked through something that someone else is fearful about or is walking through, you get to share a word of encouragement with them. That is literally practicing hope. It's that simple. All right. Um, You are free to allow for the heartache of life without needing to give up the hope. These things exist together, beauty and pain, struggle and growth, disappointment and hope. And the amazing thing is that um, the, the surprising things are often the things that lead to hope. It's often the things that on the outside seem hopeless that remind us and reveal the hope of God. You know, COVID is a great revealer right now, this pandemic. It's, 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 uh, it's, um, it's apocalyptic, and what that word means is it reveals. And right now it's revealing what's in us, so we need to learn how to practice hope right now because that's going to stay in us no matter what, even after this is all done. And it's often revealing some of the ugliness within us. So we need to let Jesus transform that. So, so we can practice both the disappointment and the hope and hold them together. We can hope globally And we can hope locally because of what's happening globally, because of God's ultimate redemption plan, but also because God's walking with us in the midst of that to get there. So, um, you know, Romans 8 says hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we don't yet have, we wait for it patiently. Paul seems to think it's a gift, the gift of hope, because the truth is that things aren't as they ought to be right now, in our world. People are selfish. There's undeserved evil and suffering. Violent attitudes and violent people are too often winning out over the healers of the world. We don't always have and we don't always see, like Paul says. So we hope. So we rest in that hope. Because the global promise of redemption and restoration is there, which gives us the the local energy to continue walking. Okay, uh, let's, let's pray, and then what we're going to do is just give you five minutes in three breakout rooms to just dialogue together if there's anything that you want to talk about. Um, maybe just a couple of people share this question. How does the global promise of God's redemption help you walk in hope through the pain and disappointment of, this, of, of daily life? So how does the global promise of God's redemption, the big picture hope, how does that help you walk in hope through the honest pain and disappointment? You don't have to share by any stretch. It's going to be at least 10 people in each group. Um, so let's pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll have just a couple minutes for that. Lord, thanks for the, the gift of your word and your scriptures and how they challenge us uh, to be honest but hopeful at the same time. Uh, help us walk in, in that path faithfully uh, throughout this Advent. Keep teaching us what we need to learn Uh, Keep it at the forefront of our minds. Help us to humbly welcome your transformation of heart, soul, and mind. Amen. All right. Thanks, friends. We will see you in breakout rooms in just a minute.